Well, good morning, everyone. Glad you're here today, um, Memorial Day weekend. All of those that uh, survived Carb Day and Brett Michaels remembering poison back in the day. Some of you don't remember poison back in the day. Well, you should uh, Google that because that's when there was real music. Maybe. I don't know. <clears throat> well, imagine a world where everyone is loved and nobody ever cried and where everyone was cared for and nobody ever lied. But the reality is uh, we don't live in that kind of world. We live in a world where people damage us and hurt us and wound us. We live in a world in which there are cuts and scrapes and bruises, and sometimes there are even gashes to our soul. And the truth is, every single one of us, nobody gets through life without being wounded in some way. I want to uh, show you this morning a few images of some California redwood trees. And you'll see how massive some of the trunks are when we get to that. But some of these trees grow to 220 years old or even older. And they are unbelievable. They're just some magnificent uh, kind of trees. Uh, just by a show of hands, how many of you have ever been to uh, California to see the redwoods? Okay, a few of us. And uh, they're just these amazing uh, trees. And when you look at the outside of this tree, you think, that thing is so big. It's so magnificent. It's so large. It's so strong. It's so rugged that nothing could ever happen to that tree. But if you were to take a closer look at that tree and you sliced it open and you examined some of the rings that were at the trunk of that tree, you would see that every tree has a story. You see, not every year of a tree is a great year. And not every year is a strong year. There might have been one of these rings that reveals a, a particular year where there was a drought and uh, the tree just maybe barely survived. And there's uh, maybe another ring that shows a tremendous growth uh, of a year. And there was tons of rain and nourishment and, fr and uh, fruit and rain. And maybe another year you could show that there was uh, lightning that hit the tree. Or the tree um, had a fire connected to it. And then there might be a year in which you would see that the tree got hit by a golf ball by Derek, who is a horrible golfer, like beyond horrible. But if you sliced open a tree, you would see with inside of it a different story. You can't imagine that it would have a a story like that because when you look at the outside of the tree, and if we can bring that other big tree back up, but if you look at the, the outside of it, it's so big, it's so large, that it looks so rugged that it is all together, that there could be nothing that could ever happen to it. And folks, I have a feeling that when you come to church every once in a while, you look around and Maybe something's going on in your life, but you look around at some other people and you go, oh, they're a redwood. I bet they have it all together. I don't, but I bet they do. And sometimes we look around and we think that, you know, well, i got to show everybody that I'm a redwood. And so we put on an air of success and achievement and whatever those things are that kind of mask what's on the inside. Because if you looked on the inside and we were to look at the inside of each person, we would see a, a different story. Some of you have a ring on the inside of 
your life that would show an alcoholic father who said some harmful and painful things to you and there might even be an image of him coming at your mom with a butcher knife one time. Or maybe there's a ring in which uh, one particular grade school year you brought home uh, a real improvement to your report card and you show it to your parents and you're like, look, I, I, I sh- had so much improvement. And they would look and say, well, you're just not as good as your sister or your brother. Or maybe there's a ring of uh, showing a spouse who you had spent 12 years with and you thought, man, this thing's going to go on forever. And then one day they just left you. And it's over. Or there might be a ring of someone who should have been there to protect you, but actually they violated you and they shouldn't have, but they did. Folks, all of us have different rings inside of us that share the story of our life And you see it inside of us. Maybe there's a ring that's left by the absence of ever hearing your mom or dad, you know, say those three most important words, I think, uh, in parenting. You know, I I love you. I love you. Maybe there's a a ring there that was in your house in which uh, you weren't allowed to cry. And so you just bottled everything up. Or maybe there's a, a ring of a parent who tried to press you and, you know, make you run faster and shoot better and jump higher. I mean, it's fun to imagine a world where everyone's cared for and everyone's loved and no one ever cries and no one ever lies, but that's just not the world that we live in. And so we go through this life and we carry these hurts and these wounds and some of them are big gashes in our sides. And many of us, what we simply do is we adapt and we become adept to just kind of masking and making us look a lot better on the outside with success or whatever it is to, to prevent people really seeing the wounds in our lives. Well, this morning, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture, uh, a text that's in this series. We're looking through Psalms. And Psalm 55 is not written by a weak, wimpy, unconfident person, but it's written by a guy by the name of David. And David was a guy that actually killed lions and bears with his bare hands. And he killed a giant with a slingshot. And the same David was a military warrior and he was a victorious general. And David was a king. He was the most famous king in all of Israel. And I think when people looked on the outside of David, they saw a redwood. A big, powerful, strong, red, redwood kind of person. But deep inside, when you looked at some of the rings of his life, you saw some hurts and some wounds. Folks, some of us really look successful on the outside, like we've got it all together. But on the inside, there are wounds, some deep wounds. And I think when we will look at this passage today in Psalm 55, that what you'll think is, oh, this guy is a redwood. But if we cut down a little bit deeper, we'll see that he's not. (laughs) A lot of times when we read the Bible, we want everything to be nice and neat and tidy And it all comes together at the end and everyone lives happily ever after. But the reality is is that that doesn't always happen in stories in the Bible. We like things to be nice and tidy and sequential, but, you know, hurt just isn't that way, is it? It's not like you get hurt and then you're all done with it. Hurt is a process. And so this passage that we're going to look at in Psalm 55 is actually a psalm of lament And last week when Chuck taught on this uh, concept of a lament psalm in Psalm 77, he said that the word lament comes from the Latin word, which means weeping. And so as as David is writing this, it's that mentality that he has, one who's weeping. So let's look at verse 1. It says this, Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. 
My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked. For they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. Now here's the first ring of hurt that comes to David. And his hurt comes from who? What's the scripture say? His hurt comes from who? Who is it? Third line down, first two words. My enemy. That's what, some of you are like, no, that's not right. You know, you're like, turns to the person. Like, no, it's my enemy. That's who it is. And immediately we start to wonder, well, who is this enemy? Who is this enemy that David has been hurt by? Well, in Psalm 52, it tells us that he had an enemy from a different country, a different nation. In Psalm 54, it tells us that it was actually someone who had betrayed him was from his own country in Israel. So you can't help but wonder. I wonder if it's one of those two guys. But the scripture doesn't really clearly tell us who is his enemy. So we go on. Verse 4, it says, My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. Now, this is catastrophic language for a guy who killed a lion with his bare hands and a bear with his bare hands and who killed this big giant who stood eight feet tall. I mean, what is it? Who is this enemy that is making him tremble and be so scared? Well, the pain from his enemy brings a second ring I think, to the hurt in his life, and it's this. It's his escapist thoughts. My escapist thoughts. Now, some of you are like, what's that about? Well, it's basically, David's just like, God, get me out of here. I can't deal with my enemy. Get me out of here. Verse 6 says this. Oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. In other words, he's saying, I'll just go to the Indianapolis airport, get on Southwest Airlines, take me to Palm Springs, California, Scottsdale, uh, Arizona, the Mojave Desert. Just get me in a desert place away from it all. And the scripture goes on, I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and the storm. I wonder what it looked like in Oklahoma of those individuals this week when they knew the storm was coming and they just wanted to get out of there because the enemy, the hurricane, the storm was coming. He's saying here, if I could, I would get out of here. I'd run. I'd escape. Now, who is it? Who is this enemy that is creating such a level of pain in his life? Verse 12, he says, If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. He says, I've dealt with all this kind of stuff before. I mean, I've fought wars. I've fought battles. Enemies are foes. But but what I'm going through, this particular enemy is huge. I mean, all the other wars I fought were like kindergarten level. This is like graduate level pain and hurt that I'm dealing with. So, what is this intense pain? Where's it coming from? Well, look at what it says in verse 13. But it is you, one like myself, my companion, then what's it say? What? My close friend. Here's the third ring. He has been betrayed by a close friend. David's hurt goes so deep because he's been hurt by someone that he thought he could trust. You know, the kind of person that you're supposed to be able to count on. The person that if you pick the phone up in the middle of the night, that they are right there. They're going to be there for you. You can count on this person. I always thought I could count on my mom or my dad. I thought I could always count on my husband or wife. 
I always thought I could count on my kids. I thought I could always count on this friend. We were like brothers. We were like sisters. We were family. And then to add insult to injury, a hurt that's even deeper, there is an added dimension to this relationship. Look at what it says in verse 14. And he describes this close friend this way. With whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. You know, sometimes what happens in the life of the church is that you actually get so close and you have bonds that are closer than your blood relatives. Now, some of you might be new to the church or you're just checking this whole thing out and you're like, I don't understand that. But if you stay long enough, eventually what happens is you get so connected and so um, uh, you know, filled with love and community for the people around you that they actually become closer than family. And when you draw close to a brother or sister in Christ and then all of a sudden that person betrays you, Someone that's closer than a family member, I mean, that hurt, folks, is excruciating. And it feels like the ultimate betrayal. Several years ago, my uh, Uncle Phil uh, died. And uh, he was uh, someone that I was really, really close to. And, and his death was difficult. I was the, um, the uh, what do they call that? The, uh, not the attorney. What do they call it? Yeah, thank you. All you smart people here today. So, uh, The executor of his estate. And, uh, and uh, I, I get all his mail. And, you know, maybe some of you have experienced this before. The person dies, but all the other stuff doesn't die. You know, and they keep sending mail to you. And every single time you, you get something, you see that person's name again. And it just, like, you know, it, it's, it's hurtful. It, it takes a while to get over that. And uh, it took me a little bit over a year before I really kind of was able to get through some of that grief and, and get some healing in my life. But during that exact same period of time, I experienced a relation, uh, relationship with a close friend uh, here at the church. And uh, we met weekly for some leadership training, and we grew together uh, very close. And uh, I was able to uh, baptize the family and uh, there was a lot of healing that happened uh, with them. And spiritually, this person and myself, we, we pushed each other to kind of spearhead a couple of things. And we were close. And then all of a sudden there was a breach that was in this relationship. And it was deep and it was painful and it was messy and it was complicated. And I remember going through that, and you know, the pain of the death of my uncle, though I'd never see again, did not even compare, not even close, to the pain and the hurt that I had from this person who had betrayed me in the church. And friends, this stuff goes deep. And if we're not careful, what can happen is, when we get that level of hurt, we can actually become resentful and angry and bitter. And this is where David's at. I mean, David is at the lowest of low in his life. And in his hurt, he actually wishes something. This is what he wishes. It's the next ring. Death to his friend, which is now his enemy. He hopes he dies. Look at what it says in verse 15. He says, let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging among them. You think he feels very strongly about this person? Look at what it says in the message. I mean, the message paraphrase. I mean, it's even more graphic. Haul my betrayers off alive to hell. Let them experience the horror. Let them feel every desolate detail of a damned life. Friends, these, these words are in the Bible. I didn't make them up. 
This is David. There's another scripture that says that he was a man after God's own heart. He's the only one given that title in the entire scripture. I mean, some of you probably feel a lot better right now. Because some of your thoughts that you've had towards people that you don't like, you know, some of those feelings of, of anger or hate or whatever, you're like, Man, that's no big deal. Like everybody here should get a star today, right? I mean, it's not like you, you know, hope that someone would be damned to hell. You know, you're like, I don't like them, I'd like to kick them, but I don't want to send them there, you know. And so your thoughts, some of your ideas are actually tame compared to what David was thinking. I'm telling you, friend, if you look at some people who seem like they're a California redwood, you're going to see a totally different story on the inside. And what I've found is that many hurt people just don't know how to access the God who is greater than their hurt. So what they do is they mask themselves with success and achievement, popularity, a new home, a new car, uh, popular friends. They mask it, but eventually it seeps out and it affects your life and the relationships around you. Anyone ever hear this phrase before, hurt people, hurt people? Anybody ever hear that before? Several of us. Yeah, hurting people hurt people. They damage others. And they don't know how to access a God who could actually help them have health and healing in their life. But this is not what David did. He reaches out to the God who is greater than their hurt. And so when we unpack this psalm the rest of the way, what we find is that there are not only rings of hurt, but there are also rings of healing that we can turn to. And the first ring of healing is this, a persevering mindset. A persevering mindset. Now some of you are like, what's that? What's that all about? Well, people with the persevering mindset, what they realize is that most of life does not give us instantaneous miracles. That a lot of times what happens is there are persevering miracles that come to your life. It doesn't happen instantaneously, but it happens as you persevere. I mean, there are just some wounds, wouldn't you agree, that take a lot longer to heal than others. I heard a story this week about two nine-year-old boys, and they were in the hospital. And they were in the same hospital room, one's in one bed, one's in the other bed, and they start talking back and forth. And uh, the one kid asked the other one, he said, well, hey, what are you in here for? And the other kid said, well, I'm getting my tonsils out, and I'm really nervous and uh, kind of scared about it. And the other kid said, well, Oh, man, you got nothing to worry about. He said, I got my tonsils out before. And he said, it's not a big deal. They take you into this room and they knock you out. And then when you wake up, you get all the ice cream and jello that you can eat. I've been there before. It's a piece of cake. Don't even sweat it. So the other kid said, oh, okay, great. He said, well, what are you in here, in here for? And he said, well, I'm in here for a circumcision. And the other kid goes, whoa. He's like, man, I had that done when I was born, and I didn't walk for a year. <laughs> oh, man, isn't that great? Some of you will be, like, that's the only thing you'll get the whole day. Like on Memorial Day, you know, like most people aren't here, but you, you chose to come. You know, I was like, man, we got to have a good zinger, you know. <laughs> but some wounds, right, take longer to heal than others. Now, in response to this hurt, remember, <coughs> David actually wants his friend to go to hell. 
But in verse 16, there's kind of a transition that starts to take place. And David says this, As for me, I call to God and the Lord saves me. And here's what I think is going on here. He's saying, you know what, I'm not going to be able to solve this problem on my own. I know this problem is greater than me. So I'm inviting the God who is greater than my hurt to come and to help me. And the scripture actually goes on, right? And it says, evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he what? He hears my voice. Now notice, there's a process going on. David doesn't just cry out once and all of a sudden it's like instant miracle time. You ever see those, I I was thinking about this, you get a little bit more than the first celebration. Um, You ever see those guys on TV where they have like this miracle, uh, like water or a miracle handkerchief or a miracle something and they'll say, I'll pray this to you and I'll send it to you and I'll get an, you'll get an absolute miracle. You know what that's called? Scam. Okay? That's called a scam. Because sometimes God works that way, but what I found that most of the time, it's not instantaneous, it is a a persevering mindset in which God moves and works and creates miracles. There is a persevering mindset, not an instantaneous mindset. There's a woman here at the jar who sent me her story a couple of weeks ago, and uh, she gave me permission to share it. And this is what she wrote. She said, I went through a very difficult and painful divorce. My husband just left me. No reason why. No no closure. He just abandoned me. Walked out. He walked out on our two kids, too. And then during the separation, he controlled how the kids would be seen And he decided that they would have me for seven days and then him for seven days, but I was not allowed to call or talk to them in the first seven or in the seven days that he was there. This was very ugly and stressful, and it was not helpful for our children at all, especially since I had been the primary caretaker and parent of our kids during our marriage. It felt like on the weeks they were gone, that they had been abducted. My oldest son, during this time, started to battle with depression. And it was painful for me to watch him suffer. We went to doctors, we went to counselors, he went on medication. And for over a year, I just prayed and prayed and prayed that there would be a better solution for our children. But nothing came. God seemed to be absent. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, the situation got worse. It felt like there was a huge wall separating me from my kids. The hurt was so great. This past Easter, I gave this entire situation to God and I surrendered my kids and custody arrangements to God. I went to a wall on Easter. We had some big walls that were around here. I went to the wall of relationship and my family, and I left it there. Then, out of the blue, a couple of weeks ago, my ex-husband dropped his split custody case and gave both kids to me. My son, who's battled depression over this entire time, just said a few weeks ago, Mom, I feel happier and more at peace than I have in a long time. God showed himself to be greater than my hurt. See, folks, God is not some pathetic wimp who simply puts his hands in his pockets and as we go through hurt in our life, that he just watches it and he's like, ah, you know, Sorry for you. But he is a God who is constantly reaching out to people, constantly trying to draw them in, letting them know, you're not alone. Come to me. 
I am the God who is greater than your hurt. Just trust in me. As this woman placed all of her hurt finally into God's hands, and she persevered over a long period of time, it wasn't instantaneous, but over time, God healed her hurt. Folks, all of us who have been hurt, all of us who have been wounded, all of us who have been betrayed would love to have everything done instantaneously. That things would be made better right now. But most of the time, it just doesn't happen like that. Rather, what I've seen is that God does much of His, His greatest work, and you can see this in the Old Testament, He does his greatest work, not instantaneously, but over periods of time. Months, years, decades. He does his greatest work then. And I've seen it in godly people. People like David, who cry out to God every morning, every noon, every night, and they invite him to help them to persevere. Though their arms are shaking and their knees are buckling and everything is reeling in pain. Look at what it says in verse 22. It's not in your um, teaching outline, but it'll come on the side screen. Let's read this out loud together. Cast your care on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Oh, I forget. There's something. Yeah, that's really not in there, but anyways, that... uh, But take it for what it's worth. But you see what he says? He says, just cast all of your cares. That's what James says. He says, or 1 Peter, it says, cast all of your cares upon me because I care for you. God God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never abandon you. But he will sustain you in every hurt. But what about justice? I know what some of you are thinking right now. Okay, Bunch, good story. I'm glad it worked for that woman. But for me, I've had some hurt in my life, and I've tried, and it seems like the enemy, the close friend, whoever, nothing's happened to them. And my betrayer is walking scot-free. And this leads us to the next ring of healing, which is this, leave justice to God. You leave justice to God. You leave it in God's hands. In verse 19, David says this. God who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, he will hear them and humble them because they have no fear of God. What's he saying here? He's saying, I've decided to let God handle my enemy. I just say, God, here you go. This is the enemy. This is the person. This is my betrayer. I'm going to ask God to take care of them. He will handle my betrayer. I'm going to let God do that. Verse 23. But you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days. Let me just say this. If you've been hurt, if you've been wounded by another human being, I think it's fitting for me to remind you that God is a God of justice. As much as he is a God of love, he is a God of justice. All things will be made right. He can deal with whoever the person is that has hurt you. And he can deal with them better than what you can. God doesn't Look away when someone is hurting you. God has promised, I will judge evil. Now the Bible is very clear that it instructs us not to judge other people. And that is so hard. Maybe the hardest lesson that Jesus gave to us. But it's not because they won't eventually be judged. But it's because there is a righteous judge who can judge people better than you. So let God deal with the person Who's hurt you? (coughs) Some of you know uh, my story. The first church I ever pastored, I was only 22 years old. And uh, 
It was in Flora, Indiana. It was kind of like Mayberry, the Andy Griffith show. Jim Neighbors today will stand up and he will sing back home again in Indiana right before the 500 starts. And when that happens, you know, my dad starts crying like a little baby and I go, get over it, dude. And uh, not really, but he does cry sometimes. And, um, and but, you know, it, it's like that kind of feeling. Jim Neighbors was Gomer, if you remember, on the Andy Griffith show. But it was just a small little town in Flora, and I was the pastor of this church, and the average age of the church was 70. So, I mean, the average age. So that means there are a lot of people that were a lot older than 70 to get the average. And I was only 22. And before long, uh, I would meet some people, and we'd connect, and I'd say, hey, come, and We'd get a, you know, some 30-year-olds and a couple 40-year-olds, then another few 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds. Never got too many 20-year-olds. Just my wife Jennifer and I, we were like, you know, we were the 20-somethings that were in the church. But we'd get some other people there. And, and when I would go up and I would start teaching, um, and well, actually I wouldn't teach, but I, w- I would sit on the stage. That was back in the day when they had a big chair for the pastor, and the pastor sat up there in the chair. And I sat up in this chair. I never understood why I stood up in the chair. But I just did it because they told me that's where you're supposed to sit. And uh, I had this big gold chair that I'd sit. And people would stand up and they would start singing. And I would look at these 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds. And it was like there was pain that was coming from them. Now, I love the old hymns. I was raised on the old hymns. I sing them all the time. They're in my head. We sing them to our kids. But the way that they played them at that church was just really bad. And so I finally was like, hey, we got to, you know, do something a little bit different. And so I got these CDs, and then I had the, uh, all the organists and pianists, there were four of them, and I'd say, hey, let's get together, and, and I would say, hey, we're going to try some new things. And I was so amazed that the two 80-year-olds, Lesta Popejoy and Laura Kripe, two saints who have died now, they were like, yeah, let's go for it, 80 years old. But the two 40-year-olds that we had, they were like, eh, we're not so sure. But eventually they listened to the songs. They're like, yeah, we can try it. And so we started doing some of these new songs. And I thought everything was fine. Everything was going really, really well until finally one of the 40-year-old organists wrote me a note and left it on my desk. And this is what she said. Chris, I am no longer able to be the organist due to the fact that I need to spend more time with my family. And I thought, no big deal. You know, sometimes people need to say no. They need to get more balance in their life. And that was it. But it was just a cover-up. Because what came after that was this woman began to spread a web of lies about me and she wanted to remove me as the pastor. She told people that I was a dictator, a tyrant. I didn't care about anyone else's feelings. That when I'd come to the music committee meetings, I would just tell them, this is what we're doing no matter what and we're going to do it. She said I talked behind people's backs, and I would get the rest of the musicians to try to be on my side. And pretty soon, she left the church, but she had manipulated four families uh, to leave the church as well. And when this happened, folks, I was crushed. I mean, I was devastated. It was a huge blow to me. And I just wanted to put my hands around her neck and give her a new song. You know? Like, in Jesus' name. But, nevertheless, you know? But one day, I remember, I was just praying, and I was trying to listen to God's voice. And I didn't hear it audible. But just within my spirit, I felt like God said, I want you to forgive her. And pray for her. And let me worry about the rest. And so for a year, I prayed every single day for this woman. But when you have a town that is that small, you can't go a year without seeing somebody. And there was a member of her family who had died, and I was the one officiating the funeral. And the way this this funeral was, like, we call them funeral homes, but no, you know, like Muncie, they don't have homes anymore. But like this was back in the days when it was really a person's home. They lived at the top and they were, I mean, this was it. 
And they had this funeral home, and they had the organist in this little room, and they had these little vents, and they had a little uh, lever, and you'd put the vent up, and you'd watch the pastor, and whenever he was done, then they would know that amazing grace. Well, when I got up there ready to do my thing, she closed it. And I waited till the funeral was over, and I just walked in where the door was, and I said, hey, I just want you to know I forgive you. And that was it. Now, you might say, well, did that change her? I don't know. Last time I ever spoke to the woman, I don't know. But you know what I do know? It changed me. It changed me. And it released me. For the first time in my life, I was freed up from any toxic junk towards that woman because I was free from it. Friends, this issue is so critical because if you don't disinfect some of the wounds that, and hurts that are in your life, eventually they ooze out and they will affect you for the rest of your life and they will affect your kids and the relationships in your life. You'll never be free. And gradually, as God enables, you must forgive. But some of you might say, well, someone's got to pay. Well, this is what I found with forgiveness. Any time that I extend forgiveness to someone else, someone's got to take a hit. And it's usually the person who chooses to forgive. You know, God extended forgiveness to every single person in this room. But it wasn't a free gift. Somebody had to take a hit. And Jesus took the hit on the cross for you and for me and for the world. And if we're going to be like him, every once in a while, we just have to extend forgiveness and we've got to take a hit. One last ring of healing that David found was this. Extend compassion to other wounded people. That I actually extend compassion to other wounded people. You see, folks, the thing that gives us greatest credibility when we help broken and hurting people is what? It's our brokenness. It's the fact that we've been hurt ourselves and so we can share that. Why is Psalm 55 so helpful to you guys today? Because it wasn't written by like a college professor. It was written by a guy who was in the trenches, a guy who lived every word of it. Friends, I personally don't like to share the hurts of my life. But every once in a while, I realize that if I don't share the hurts of my life with other people, they don't experience healing in their life. Maybe some of you have gone through the wound of divorce. And if you've gone through that wound, the only way that you'll get full healing is if you actually walk alongside someone and let them know that they're not alone in their hurt. Or maybe you were abused as a child. And God wants you to use your compassion to extend out to someone else. People who've dealt with infertility before. Only people who've gone through that before can you walk beside someone and help them through that. Or maybe you're the spouse or a child of an alcoholic. And you could say, you know what, Celebrate Recovery is a great place for codependence too. People who are dealing with that hurt and pain, but they just need a place to do that. And you could help people. Right now, I have no doubt that some of you are here this morning and there are circumstances in your life that if we cut you open like the redwood tree, you are in a ring of your life right now where there is a lot of hurt. And I just wanted you to know that this place called the Jar is not a sanctuary for saints. It is a community of wounded healers. We're all wounded. And our, one, of the, the, one of the values that we have in this place is that we want to walk alongside people 
so that no one ever stands alone. You know, the most courageous thing that some of you could do is say, you know what, I see that sign, Celebrate Recovery Thursdays, Hurts, Habits, Hangups, I don't have any. <laughs> or you could look up there and you say, you know what, I do. I want to try to work on that. And so you go. Or for some of you who are grieving the death of a loved one, that our grief share that meets on Mondays, you say, you know what, I'm going to do that. Or get plugged into a small group. Just don't do this thing alone. Because God is greater than your hurt, but you've got to do it with some other people. There are David-like people who could help you move toward hope. And I pray that many of you would do that today. So here's David, this great big California redwood. And uh, he finally comes to kind of the final line of this psalm. And you kind of wonder, okay, there's some rings of hurt, there's some rings of healing. How's he going to come to the end? Ultimately, what is going, what is he going to do with the hurt inside of him? That's the question. What's he going to do with this hurt? In verse 23, it says this. Let's read it out loud together. But as for me, I trust in you. He says, I don't know about anyone else. But as for me, I trust in you, God. I'm putting this hurt into your hands. How about you? Are you ready to put even the hurt in your life? Into God's hands to trust Him. Will you trust the healer today. I'd like you to stand as we uh, close in a song and then uh, we'll close in prayer. But I just ask right now that maybe you would allow whatever the hurt is in your life, that you'd release that to God and allow his healing to come through this song.
impossible for you. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible for you. You hold my world in your hands. Nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible for you. You hold my world in your hands. Cause I believe you're my healer. I believe you are Gracious God, we uh, thank you that you are our healer. And God, just as I was uh, singing the song, I, I realized, God, that sometimes it's so easy for us to fake that we're redwoods. And God, I pray today that people who have some real hurts in their lives, someone betrayed them, a close friend, God, would you help heal that today? And God, would you help them to persevere? That if that healing doesn't come today, that they'll just keep persevering. Trusting you. Morning, noon, and night, David prayed. God, help us to be those kind of people as we seek your healing. So I just pray, God, through your Holy Spirit, that you would do your healing work so that your name would be made great. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.